This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a guten Erev Shabbos. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is Chai FM, 101.9 Chai FM. And I'm delighted to be here with you on a very special Friday. Why is it special? Hmm. It's the Parsha that's special. It's the date that's special. We have a special guest with us. Welcome, Mushki. Thank you. Wonderful to be back here. Yeah, Mushki was with us two weeks ago, and the response was so overwhelming. And people said, we want to hear more. And so she agreed to come on again. Thank you for that, Mushki. And what we want to share today is inspiration from this amazing Parsha, which is totally unique. The Parsha is something that bridges the past and the future. The Parsha is something that talks to us about ourselves as individuals. It talks about God's involvement in everything, very often just behind the scenes. And you don't really see it, but once in a while, those curtains part and loud and clear. You can see that no matter what someone thinks, whether they be a powerful king or they be an extremely, extremely potent um, prophet, whether it be an individual or whether it be a nation, whether it be a tribe in a nation, Hashem is behind everything. And he works in so many ways. But always there is the opportunity to choose. He doesn't force certain things. He sets the stage. But if the setup is right and we do the right thing, things come incredibly in an absolute avalanche, as it were, of blessing. And God forbid you do a little something which is not so perfect where we have the opportunity to choose correctly, it can, God forbid, cause things that affect not only us, but for generations to come. The Parsha is a powerful teacher in so, so many different ways. And essentially, we see this incredibly encouraging line of history. We also see strong lessons to the individual. We see the ongoing presence of Hashem and His involvement. We see Hashem as the powerful director of history, of historical events, but personal events. Of course, we must do our part in shaping events. We shape our own lives. We are the co authors of our own destiny, but we also shape national, international, universal history. Each of us is called upon to rise up on a regular basis to do our part, to do our part in shaping our own lives, which of course will affect not only us, but our children and their children, people we come into contact with. And the people they come into contact with. There is no such thing as isolation. Things play out. The moment of now is linked and connected onward 
in a spiraling pyramid of events and effects that we cannot begin to imagine. A word that I say, a choice that I make, something that I do, affects all of history, all of creation. People, their families, our friends, our associates, community, and the effect is mind-boggling. We affect the world. We affect all of creation. We affect things public and personal. The call to action to us is ongoing. Hashem is so involved in our lives at every split second. Our responsibility is great. Our response has to be ongoing. Sometimes we have to stand up and do something dramatic. Sometimes when we do something dramatic, the results will be immediately seen. Sometimes it can take years, even generations, for something that we did to become apparent, for it to actually appear, for it to develop. But our responsibility is powerful, great, it's a privilege, and it's ongoing. The Parsha is a strange Parsha. The fact that it's named for an evil king, the fact that it focuses on the ongoing, um, stretched out thoughts and interactions of an evil prophet and an evil king. Why? Torah is usually very economical with the words that it uses. But this is a pivotal, pivotal Parsha. This Parsha is the Parsha that talks most explicitly of any place in the five books of the Torah about the Mashiach. This Parsha is quite a mysterious Parsha. It's a Parsha that begins with people trying to curse the Jewish nation. It continues with the most unbelievable blessings and predictions for the nation. It also has a very tragic, a very telling set, series of events where when the prophet realizes he cannot curse the nation, he tries to assimilate with the nation. He gives the idea that if you can't beat them straight out, be nice to them draw them in and that becomes the beginning of a downfall until one man a quiet man a humble man a regular guy rises up and saves the day and so we're thinking Mushki and I what do we speak about I guess we need to speak about us the ordinary the differences that we can make, that wherever Hashem places us, our talents, our abilities, our place in the world, our place in a family, there is a way to glorify God's name, sometimes in a quiet way, sometimes in a verbal way, sometimes in an absolutely dramatic way. I remember the story where a journalist for the Israeli radio station Kol Yisrael 
arranged to come and see the Rebbe. During their discussion, the Rebbe suggested that besides giving regular news, Kol Yisrael should share a weekly insight from the Torah portion with its listeners. Give them a Dvar Torah. Tell them a vort. The journalist was not convinced. He said, Rebbe, Kol Yisrael is in the business of providing news. Torah is not news. So the Rebbe responded, Our sages teach us that every day we must approach Torah as if it were given today. In other words, it's up to us to find the relevance, the connection between the Torah portion and what's happening in our personal lives or happening in current events. Therefore, he said, if you present every week's Parsha or Torah portion as it relates to the news, it would indeed be appropriate. You see, the Torah doesn't change from year to year. We do. But when we look with open eyes, we see God's hand, we see the Torah talking to us directly and clearly in our lives. And so, we want to take today, we want to take the Parsha, we want to take the events of the day and make them really, really relevant. And this week's Parsha is not difficult to do. In fact, it kind of plays into our hands. In addition to that, today being the 13th day of the month of Tammuz is tremendously relevant. It's a date in history. And actually, 90 years ago, in 1927, it's a date that indeed changed the world. We'll be back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is 101.9 High FM. Delighted to, li- delighted to be with you today on this very, very pertinent and special Erev Shabbos. And in fact, before I came on to the show, Isaac Resnick said to me, you know, Mashi, I forgot to tell the listeners that on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, my show is repeated. Please tell them, because it was all about Pachevstrom, and what an incredible show it was. So, Isaac, if you're listening, please know that the listeners have just heard that they must tune in on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and listen to that wonderful, wonderful show that you just gave before I came on. And so, we are Erev Shabbos Parshas Bullock. Bullock, that evil king who sought to destroy us, who hated us with a passion. But Hashem just turned events not only that he didn't protect, that he didn't affect us, God forbid, but it became totally, totally different. It became such a flow of blessings. Predictions about the time of Mashiach. It spoke about the Jewish nation in the most glowing terms that nobody can hurt them. That God does protect us. And as we see, our nation is a phenomenon. No matter what has happened, as we say in the Haggadah, nations rise up to destroy us. But I've got Mushki here on the radio, and she's got so much to share with us. 
And Mushki, you know, we were talking about Shabbos and so on. And I'm mentioning to you that the days are getting longer. We light candles today at 5.15. And then you came in and you said... You know, it was so interesting. I mean, first of all, you have taken me back to such a warm place in my childhood. We used to sit around the Shabbos table and every Shabbos without fail, my father, Rabbi Lipska, would say, give me three reasons or give me four reasons that this Shabbos is, is special. And often I think it was just to get our, our brains ticking and what it was about. And and sometimes, you know, the the answers had to be a little far-fetched and, and left field because some weeks are a bit simpler. But I think on a day like today, when you say, what makes this Shabbos special? There are a lot more than four reasons. And I'm so honored to be here on a day like today. And as you've mentioned, the Shab- uh, this Shabbos Parsha, Parshas Balak, is chock-a-block with so many lessons to learn. We're in a very auspicious time of the Chabad calendar, just having passed the third of Tammuz, the Rebbe's passing, and today is the 13th of Tammuz. And yesterday and today, the 12th and 13th of Tammuz are a commemoration of the sixth Chabad Rebbe. The previous Rebbe that was the Rebbe before our Rebbe, and he was released from prison as well as he celebrated his birthday on these days. And next week, unfortunately, we go into what is known as the three weeks, a time commemorating the mourning period leading up to the destruction of the temple. So it's a very holy time that we're in and a very special, a very special environment that we find ourselves in with so much to learn from. And as you were just saying about when we were discussing candle lighting time, you know, we say we want to learn from everything in our times. And as you mentioned before, how do we adapt? How do we adapt the modern times to our what sometimes seems so old and and sometimes so dated Judaism? And I was reminded of a story that came up when the New York Times, somebody did a mock-up of what the New York Times would look like, I believe, in 20 or 30 years. And the New York Times being one of the most iconic papers out there, they amazingly have at the bottom, every Friday at the bottom of their paper, it says the Shabbat candle lighting times in New York. Hmm. And someone sponsored this, and this has become a, a, a standard and important part of their paper. It's on the front page, I believe. On the front page, on the bottom of the front page, written clearly. Hmm. And amazingly, what happened in this mock-up that someone did? It, it wasn't uh, a Jewish fellow. It could, you know, it could have even been in a hundred years' time what it would look like. Printed there, right on that front page, was what time will Shabbat candle lighting time be in New York City? Wow! And I think when we take a parsha like this. And sometimes relating the parasha to our lives is difficult because times are changing, as they say. And how do we keep up with it? And how do we keep up with it and not let our Judaism conflict with the modern times? And I think this shows us that if we truly let our Judaism become one with our lives, 
everyone will be able to see and respect it. In this parsha, as you spoke about, there was the evil prophet who came along. He was going to curse the Jews. And I'm sure we'll chat about it further, but what was his hatred born of for the Jews? Absolutely nothing. Just the fact that they were Jewish. Hmm. And I believe he was the first anti-Semite. Because until now, you had the Amalekim, you had Pharaoh, you had Balak, the king that he was working for. But all of them had a reason. It was jealousy. It was hatred. It was fear. It was, they saw that Hashem, God, was on the Jewish nation's side. But when it came to the evil Bilam, it was truly born of an anti-Semitic nature, that he hated the Jews for being Jewish. And now, when we see something like that, my real question is, how do we take that and reconcile it with the life that we're living? What can we learn from something like that? And so often, I believe, a person should look at something, and if it's of an extreme nature, such as this huge hatred that Bilam had for the Jewish people, how do you counteract that extreme hatred? With extreme opposite of the hatred, which is love. So love of the Jewish nation, of course, can be Ahavat Yisrael, but I'm going to take it a step further. I believe it would be Jewish pride. That would is what would have sent him, you know, with the steam roaring out of his ears, the pride for something he hated so much. And what could this pride give us? What could this pride show us? Sometimes someone would say, you know what? Pride could seem a little negative because pride could seem almost arrogant, but... It's not about being stuck up. We need to translate the pride as confidence. As a Jew, I have the conviction what I'm doing is right. I'm comfortable with my Jewish identity. My Judaism is not to be hidden. I have, I have nothing to hide. And I believe that this will only improve the way that others treat us because no one is impressed with a person who tries to be something he's not. I believe it was the chief rabbi of England, Lord, Jonathan Sachs, and I think he put it best when he said that Gentiles respect Jews who respect their Judaism. Hmm. And how can we reconcile these old, these old traditions and these old teachings, what seems old to us at least, with the fast-paced world? We have to realize it's one in the same. The same God that 5,777 years ago created the whole world and there was no Wi-Fi then, no WhatsApp, no Instagram, no Facebook, no Snapchat, no nothing, no cars or, or planes, not even a train. There, what was there? There was God. And what is there now? That same God. And whether he brought us into a world that had one thing or another, the one thing that doesn't change is his love for us. Because it, truth be told, I don't believe he really needed us here, but he wanted us here out of his love for us. That's an amazing, amazing insight. And, and it warms the heart, it really does, when you understand that the world is built on love, that the world was created with love. And it's not like we're a burden 
and it's not like he's not here. It's this idea that he's here, he loves us, he cares about what we do, and he notices what we do. And, of course, you see it at the end of the Parsha, that when a man stands up for something with pride, and it was difficult, Pinchas, this ordinary fellow, he's yeah. not a Kohen, no. and he's quite ordinary. We don't even hear about him till now. And what does he do? He does something which is obviously not only difficult, perhaps repulsive to him, but he cares about his people. He cares about Hashem. He cares about the Torah. He goes against his very nature to do what he believes need to, needs to be done. Perfectly put. That's exactly right. What has happened is he notices what has happened. And you know what it says on the buses in New York? If you see something, say something. Yes. And we need to learn from that because when something comes to our attention, it makes us upset. It makes our blood boil. It makes us react. We saw it. It's a message from Hashem that we need to do something about it. And the question is, do I act or do I not do anything? Do I go to the one who can do something about it? Am I just part of the the chain that leads to the solution? I need to know my part. Well, you know what? If we look at this parsha, this parsha is named for a person. And there are only six parshas that are named for someone. There's Noah. He built the huge ark. There is Chaye Sarah that teaches us the life of Sarah. There's Yitro, the father-in-law of Moshe. There's Korach, the week that passed. He was up to no good getting the people into a rebellion. This week, the king, Balak. And then next week, this famous, who became famous, this Pinchas you are speaking of. And out of all the parashat of the year, a minority of the parashat have a name of a person. And I think that when you say, so what should we do? Is it about the action? Is it about the going to someone who can do something? This parsha answers that question. This parsha is named for an individual. It's up to the individual. Hmm. And I think a person who is able to act, is able to be a Pinchas in our times. It's so easy to look around and see the problems, especially with our jaded vision in today's world. That's a lot of negative around us and a lot of negative that we cannot control. But when we see something, we have that choice. Are we now going to look at it and, oh, shame, how terrible. Oh, you know, and hang up the phone with this one, bump into that one in Norwood and chat t to this one at pickup time. It's just so sad. Anyway, I better get back to my life and make sure my kids are fed and put in bed and we'll start this all again tomorrow. Sure. The truth is that our beloved Rebbe has shown us the power of action and he's laser focused us. Because it can be overwhelming, but he's given us incredible direction 
cut it into little bite-sized pieces. And because it's coming from Torah, it's coming from leadership, and it's coming from a place of love and concern, it's also coming from the leader who understands the others from himself. We call it a neshama klolis. There are general souls. There's leadership that Hashem gives into a generation. We're told that every generation, the Zohar tells us, has, an, has a Moshe. And that leader is involved with the people, but also stands higher and can see what needs to be done. And when you look at the life of the Rebbe, previous Rebbe, some of the things that they did seemed so, um, they seemed so specific. But with the passing of time, one has seen how there's been a groundswell, how it's grown, it's crescendoed. Others emulate. It's an incredible, incredible thing. It's a miracle in our times to see what has happened over the last 90 years, what has happened over the last 70 years. Judaism that was on its way down has had a total revival. The world that didn't know about Mashiach knows about Mashiach. And Jewish pride is spreading. 100%. And the Rebbe said time and again, the Rebbe was actually citing Maimonides when he said a single person doing a single mitzvah could be that deed that tips the scales and brings this redemption for the whole world and all of creation that we so desperately need. And what did the Rebbe do? He issued a call to every Jew. He said, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to every single individual. And he said, even if you're not fully committed to Torah and you don't lead a complete Torah life, that's where you're up to. You're on your journey. But do something. Begin with a mitzvah, any mitzvah. Its value is not diminished by the fact that there are other mitzvot that you don't yet do. And what did the Rebbe do? He suggested... 10 possible almost beginner's mitzvot, which are ideally suited for a person's first experience of the mitzvah connection. What is the mitzvah connection? The word mitzvah actually means connection. A mitzvah connects the person who gave it to the person who does it. Who gave us the mitzvot? The 613 mitzvot are straight from the Torah, straight from Hashem. And that is how the Rebbe said to us, you know what, here, if you don't know where to start the journey, which step to take, these are the steps. This mitzvah will help you make that connection with Hashem. And it's almost if you imagine a thread that starts getting getting sewn from one side to the other. Each mitzvah is one thread of the thread being threaded. <laughs> and as you do a second mitzvah, the thread gets gets doubled. And then a third thread. And it becomes stronger and stronger until it's a second nature to the person who's doing it. You know, it's amazing that on that thread or on that connection, <laughs> Hashem doesn't remain outside your life. There's always a blessing or a reward. And so, and what would the rewards be? They would be material and spiritual. Correct. Suddenly, you're sensitive to things Suddenly, you feel warmed by things. Suddenly, you're different 
because you did that mitzvah. But you're different because you have accepted who you are. And it's mm. always been laying dormant within you. You haven't become something else. Right. It's who we are. We've taken on that Jewish pride and we said, yes, it's me. It's mine. I accept it and I'm going to embrace it. Amazing. And of course, as we often say, just as a body needs food, it needs minerals and vitamins and exercise. You've got to practice Correct. with this body. Similarly, a mitzvah brings you brings you um, nurturance, brings your soul nurturance. And you know, if you don't eat, God forbid, you faint. Yeah. If the soul doesn't get mitzvahs, it doesn't, it's not, it, it's fainting. That orchid is sitting there week after week without any block of ice on it and any <laughs> few dribbles of water. And that, I think if we look at an orchid, wow, we can so example. understand the Jew. You don't need to come with a torrent of water and splash it over and drown the thing. It's all about making sure you get the necessity to thrive. And each of us is able to be responsible for that and to know it's within us. It's there. And it's all about Amazing. embracing it. Amazing. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a good ner of Shabbos on this 13th day of the month of Tammuz. And delighted to be with you and to have my wonderful daughter Mushki with us. Such a privilege. Thank you again. <laughs> I'm loving this. Indeed, Mushki, today is your grandfather's yard site. Correct. And I will take this opportunity, I'm sure, together with all your listeners, to wish you, as we say, in South Africa, long life. <laughs> and it should, he should really be, we say it in Yiddish, a good better. That up on high, he should, you know, say, listen here, God. The people down there, they need an abundance of blessings. And you, together with your listeners, should be showered with all of the blessings that you want and all of the blessings that you need that you don't even know that you want yet. Amen. Oh, Thank you so much. Yes, it's 40 years. It's quite a lifetime. And uh, my father, Olav Shalom, our father, my brother, Rabbi Popek in Cape Town, my sister, Dini Groner here, and our sister, Rivki Yarmish in Toronto, very special man, very, very warm chassid of the previous Rebbe and the Rebbe. And I'm reminded of a Jewish pride story with him, where in the early years, Unlike now where the Rebbe would send a family or a young couple to one place and you stay there till the coming of Mashiach, in those days it was not unusual to move couples around. And the reason was because there were very few Hasidim and the the work was expanding. And my parents, my mother, Zalzayn Gizont, my father, Iraf Langiyar, all of us shalom, were um, moved from Buffalo, New York, and then to New York, to Brooklyn, and then to Worcester, Massachusetts, till they were moved to Philadelphia. And um, apparently, it was in the early 50s, and there was a little day school in Philadelphia, and they were floundering. They were struggling. And they came to see the Rebbe. And the Rebbe suggested that, you know, how they could raise funds or whatever. And he said, I have 
someone for you to serve as a uh, executive director. I have one with a beard and one without a beard. Now, a beard, especially in those days, was a sign of Jewish pride. It still is in today's times. A beard, and certainly in the early 50s, a sign of an observant Jew. Anyhow, then he called my father in, and he sent him for the interview. And my father, Allah Shalom, had a full beard, and he said to my father, you go for the interview, and you say to them that uh, the Rebbe says he no longer, the Rebbe said to him, tell them, I no longer have the one without the beard. Such an interesting little story for my father to arrive to all these clean-shaven people, even um, observant Jews. It just was not something done in those days. My father was young, and he was, um, you know, it, it wasn't like he was an elderly rabbi and taking up the pulpit. He was going to be the executive director. And he had a marvelous nature and beautiful effect on the entire Philadelphia Jewish community um, that resonates until this very day. And, of course, my father's connection to South Africa, that he has three of his children serving here. My brother in Cape Town, who's the longest-serving rabbi in the Cape, he's been there 41-plus years, and my sister here in this country, together with her husband, who's the mashpia of the Chabad community, Rabbi Groner, and she runs this amazing um, special school, like a remedial Hebrew school from her home. And she's well-known, Moradini. And, of course, there's also my lovely sister in Toronto, Rifki, who also is a, a strong contributor to the community, also runs a school, and so proud. And, of and, course... And I'm going to butt in then, and you and, and Ta, you and, and my father, who, thank God, in 1972, were privileged to be sent out here by by the Rebbe to to get the ball rolling <laughs> on, on the ground. Well, the truth is that all of this is really the credit of the Rebbe himself, with his incredible courage and encouragement. We were young; I was 22. Your father was 23. Imagine that. Yeah, and the the story that always resonates with me is when I hear that my grandmother, uh, my father's mother, when saying goodbye to you at the airport in the States, you were going, it was 1972, you were headed to Africa, and she was hugging you. She was never going to see you again. Yeah, You were going. That was it. Well, both our mothers, they just, you know, to them it was... Although they had also been raised in the system, but they'd gone through so much. They'd both been in the war, and this was just too far. But what motivates a young couple to go across the world when, you know, it's not just that you could you could call home and when, um, once a week or whatever it was, but literally you have to go to the post office and set up a time to make an not international office, call. But no, you had to do. You did it from home, but the truth is that there is great power in youth. And the Rebbe was able to harness the passion of youth. He inspired the youth. 
He kept the old people young. That's it. It's the greatest gift. And we look at the parsha, which is Pinchas, and we see one man, although the Rebbe, you can't compare one man who stands up at the right moment. And what happens afterwards? We'll talk about it more next week. He becomes Eliyahu Hanavi. He has latent powers and abilities that by doing something courageous for others, putting himself aside because he could have been killed, yes. it would have been likely that the tribe of Shimon would have killed him. Yes. He put his life on the line because the Torah, Hashem, the nation was in danger. And that was quite public. And we see the immediate result as we'll here in next week's parsha, that he's given an incredible blessing. Hashem says, thank you, Pinchas. I'm going to make you a Kohen. Like, it was immediate. And also yeah. the plague stopped. They could see. It was like A, B, just equals C. It just happened. Yeah. And when you, when you talk of your father's pride and, and his beard that he wore, when you talk of... Pinchas and the action that he took when he see, saw that action needed to be taken. I think of our community in Mauritius. My husband and I, Rabbi Lema Barber, have been privileged to be serving in Mauritius as the Chabad Rabbi and Rebbetzin for five years now. And when we got there, it was a bit of a shell shock in a certain regard for me. And let me explain why. I grew up in a Chabad family and a family that it was an open home and there were people of of all different walks in Judaism coming and going. But South African Jews have a sense of pride within their tradition. And South African Jews truly value this that as important to, that is important to them. And Something we encountered in Mauritius very different was that there are many, many French Jews and European Jews in Mauritius. And often, French Jews will go without a kippah, without a head covering, without a yarmulke, even if they are observant. What is the, what does this boil down to? Why does this happen? It's because in these places, there can be such blatant and apparent anti-Semitism, even from a person seeing a kippah on one's head, that there, there's been, the way is rather sometimes to go without, and not, God forbid, saying that all religious Jews don't wear kippot, but there are people who don't. And to me, the first thing was pride. Wow. In the South African community, we have that Jewish pride. And I hoped to be able to share and to to spread the warmth in a place like Mauritius. And then something I realized was that so often we're able to shrink in into ourselves because of the insecurities that others place on us. And in a place where there's extreme anti-Semitism, we can judge from how one might act. But what we can learn is that we need to keep shining. 
whatever mitzvah it is that we currently struggle with, we need to say, it doesn't matter what someone else looks at me for. It doesn't matter that someone might say, oh, she's a little more religious. I thought she wasn't that religious. What matters is my path that I'm growing on. Because we don't know, as much as there, there might be the people who are looking and saying, you know, oh, why, why is she wearing a skirt that, that length? Or why, oh, you know, I wanted to go golfing with him. It's Saturday morning. Does he really need to go to shul? There might be a few who do that. But do you know how many people are looking at you and taking inspiration from you? Yeah. And for the parents out there, as you mold those children, I believe the most important thing you can give them is pride and confidence in their Judaism. And that's what the actions of the ten mitzvahim, the ten mitzvot that the Rebbe gave us, truly showed us. Why? What, what, what are they? What are they? They are. So if, we, if we're going to, if we're going to list them, they're a wonderful set of mitzvot and they're mitzvot that anyone, as we said before, at any level of observance can do. Number one, today. Light the Shabbos candles. 5.11. 5.11 in Johannesburg to 18 minutes before sunset in honor of Shabbat and before festivals to light the Shabbat candles. Women and girls above the age of three. And some people do have the custom that girl, only girls once they're married. But the, the Chabad custom is above the age of three. It wasn't just Chabad because yeah. apparently... Almost everyone used wow, to do that. Wow. But in the First World War, when it was difficult right. to get candles, the custom dwindled because it was even hard to get for the mother. They used to cut candles in half and in quarters. So at least the mother would be lighting. Right. And so the custom kind of faded from many homes. And yes. the Rebbe revived Beautiful. an age-old custom because we know that the matriarch Rivka was three years old when yes. she started to light candles. Yes. And then... As the boys and men shouldn't feel left out from the age of bar mitzvah, the, the age of 13 years old, to be putting on tefillin. On every weekday. Every weekday. And number three, a message on your doorpost. A mezuzah. <laughs> every Jewish home should have a mezuzah on the doorpost. And I've always particularly loved this mitzvah because... I say, you know, we have security systems, there are beams, there's electric fencing, there are alarm panels. And you know what? Hashem is saying, I'm on the door. And it's an extra special and above all, the most important layer of security. Number four, there's learning Torah. Number five, giving tzedakah daily, charity, even a few coins to show I care about the next. I care about someone less fortunate. Number six, a home filled with holy books. If you're thinking, you know, I want to get something more for my home, pick up a Jewish book. We have wonderful bookstores in Johannesburg. Pick up a Jewish book. And you never know when you might get that inspiration to pick it up and open it up or a child or a spouse and the warmth and the positivity it will and add into your home. display them. Jewish pride. Yes. Then number seven, one that takes a lot of courage and really... Going at it is kashrut, kashrut, trying to have a kosher home to the to best of one's ability. Well, not just a kosher home, you are what you eat. But the point is that, you know, we can't just eat what we want, where we want, wh with whoever. We need to understand how much respect people have for us when we know who we are. Yeah. And a Jew eats kosher. And you know what? I've always seen kosher as the mitzvah that... 
tells us your Judaism is not just metaphysical up there, spiritual and about what we learn, but it's part and parcel of your very physical being because it's about what goes into your mouth. Number eight, love your fellow Jew. Wow. Number nine, education. Every Jewish boy and girl must receive some sort of Jewish education. And number 10. A good, a great Jewish education. A wonderful Jewish education. (laughs) And number 10, observing family purity. Now, if we are able to take these 10. That's the mikvah. Wow. And if we're able to take these 10 mitzvot and say, you know what, today I feel I can do this one. And you you see your friend and you say, you know what, just a reminder today at 5.11 is Shabbat candle lighting. Please light your candles and by passing on that torch, literally, no pun intended, what you're doing is you are taking the Rebbe's message to take the action and you're taking Pinchas's message to be a leader. Take the parsha where it is the name of an individual and become the leader that is waiting within you. Magnificent. Just magnificent. Each one of us has a tremendous part to play. The world is not complete without you. The world is waiting for you. Hashem is waiting for you. Hashem is with us. He's directing every action. The footsteps of man are directed by God. Notice what's going on around you. Open your eyes. Thank you for opening your ears to us this morning. And please, God, your mitzvah will be the one that will change the entire world for all of mankind to goodness. Amen. Please, God, what the Parsha talks about, which is Mashiach, will come to pass immediately. A guten Shabbos, a guten Tomid. Good Shabbos.